0: hey good morning we're so glad you're here with us today we're glad that you're joining us online and Thanks again to everybody who had a hand in the clothing drive yesterday. It was really um, an amazing thing to watch, to be a part of. But um, I just want to tell you one little story. There was a, a spring clothing drive. There was a couple that came through. They were new to Canada. They were from Columbia. Didn't speak much English. And, and and the guy just had tears in his eyes when he was coming through. And I was handing out breakfast. And I went out, and I was like, are you okay? Do you need to talk? Do you need anything and he stopped, and through his broken English, he just looked at me. He said, "Basically, what he says, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. I, I, why are you doing this for us?" And and so I prayed with him. I talked with him a little bit, and then I saw him again yesterday um, when he came through with his wife. And he's got a job. He's starting Saturday, and they're settled in. And, and And his wife speaks a little more English than he does, so she's kind of translating. But I love the fact that what we're going to talk about this morning is on the Sunday after clothing drive was on Saturday. Because hoping in all of this, what you're gonna see is that when we do things like this, we might look around and have no idea what it changes in somebody's life. And there were there were several, several hundred people who came through here yesterday, and we can look at it and go, hey, we did a good thing, yay. Or we can look at it and go, there's something that's going on in people's lives because we did this. And that's why we serve. And so by the end of the message today, I'm hoping, I want you to keep clothing drive in your mind. What happened yesterday and what's going to happen in April in your mind as we walk through this parable the day of the Good Samaritan. So if you don't mind, would you stand up with me and open your Bible to Luke 10? We're going to look at the verses 25 through 37. And so I'm going to read those to you now. You can follow along. Who fell among the robbers, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Father, we thank you for this example, this truth, this reality that you've given us this morning to explore and look into, God. And I pray that as we walk through this parable, you open our eyes and our hearts, not only to what it is you want to tell us, but more importantly, to what it is you would have us go and do. And if there's anything, Lord, that's not the fullness of truth here this morning in what I say, I just ask that you just let that hit the ground. But what is the fullness of your truth? Let it take root deep, deep in our souls and become something that we live out of. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to tell you a story. Several years ago, I was doing some spiritual direction with a a woman in our church, and basically what that is is somebody comes to you and goes, hey, can you help me live my faith out more deeply in my life? And she had a heart for others. She had a heart for Jesus. She had a servant's heart, and she was seeking to grow in her faith and deepen her daily walk in the kingdom of God. She was all about that. That's why we were even having conversations. And she had all these great questions about integrating her faith more deeply and fully into her life. And she'd ask a question, and then I'd ask her a question back. And she'd ask a question, and I'd ask her a question back. And this happened over and over and over. And finally, she was just super frustrated. And she kinda actually yelled at me. "Um, Why won't you just answer my questions? And I kinda willfully pushed her over the edge of frustration. And I said to her, because you're not asking the right questions. Well, it took a little while for us to recover from that. But here's my point in saying all that. There is a reason I was asking her questions when she asked me questions. It's because her desire was to grow in Christ intentionally. And here's the thing. If we are going to grow in Christ intentionally, then we have to ask the right questions. We have to ask the right questions. And we see that in this text this morning in Luke 10. We see Jesus do with this lawyer exactly what I did with this woman. Now I have to tell you that I admit that he did it with much more tact and gentleness and grace than I did. But he did the same thing. And the person he was talking to that he was able to approach with grace and tact wasn't even coming at him with pure motivations. (laughs) He was seeking to justify himself, not to grow in Christ. And so the lawyer in our text asked the question, who is the neighbor that I'm supposed to serve generously? In verse 36, Jesus tells him that he should be asking, how can I be a person that serves all my neighbors generously? That's the question I want us to answer this morning. How can we as a church become a people who reflexively and instinctively serve our neighbors generously? And the simple answer to that question is found in verse 37. It's interesting though, the one who gives the answer in verse 37 is not Jesus, but the lawyer himself. He said in verse 37, the one who showed mercy and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the man starts with, who's my neighbor? And ends with, how do I be a neighbor to others? See, the lawyer gives us the how in verse 37, the how of serving our neighbors generously, and it's to show mercy. Jesus gives us the what of serving our neighbors generously, and it's to go and do likewise. So we must be a people who go and do likewise. I want to help you see three truths of God that are in this parable that we need to live into if we are going to be a people who go and do likewise. And I think when we put all of this stuff together, we'll be on our way to becoming a people, a church that instinctively and reflexively serves our neighbors generously. And so this parable all started with a lawyer's question, right? How many things in life have started with a lawyer's question? If you're a lawyer, no offense, but there are many things in this world that start with one lawyer's question. That's where this parable starts. And his question was motivated by putting Jesus on trial. He wants to put Jesus on trial publicly to denounce him in front of others to have his influence undermined. He wasn't trying to become a person who serves his neighbors generously. He was simply in verse 25 asking the question that he thought would put Jesus on trial in front of everyone. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus immediately turns the man towards the truth. In short, he doesn't take the bait to prove himself. He tells the man to look to the law. What does the law say? He turns him to the law of God and this man knows the law of God because his job as a lawyer was to be one who was a scribe who studied the law. The law of God. Not lawyers in our society that are more rooted in civil matters. This lawyer was rooted in spiritual matters. And it's important to note this, that Jesus turned the man towards the law not because the law saves us, but because the law shows us that we need to be saved. The man was missing the point. He knew the law well, but it never occurred to him that the law was revealing to him that he had a need, that he needed conviction because without conviction, there's no conversion. Listen to this in Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. It is important to know the law so that we will become conscious of what our sin is, what sin itself is. This lawyer had the right truth. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He knew the law, but here's what he was doing with it. He was using that law to justify himself. Look at verse 29. He's justifying himself. He's not trying to find conviction in God's eyes to stand before God and say, I've fallen short. He's trying to find a way to stand before men and see I know it. I've got it. I know what I'm doing here. And so remember what his motivation was, right? His motivation was was not to find out how to have eternal life. It was to test and try Jesus publicly. So when he quotes the greatest commandment to Jesus, love God with our heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself, he isn't quoting it as a lifestyle, but as some head knowledge that he thinks justifies it. I think that's a big danger for us in the church, to know the law in such a way that we have a head knowledge and now we can justify ourselves before God and others. By saying, do this, go and do this, when Jesus says that to this lawyer, he's reminding the lawyer that he needs to live it, not just know it that knowing it does nothing for him. He must live it out. In short, Jesus is saying, you must keep the main thing the main thing. Your head knowledge is not the main thing. And that's our first truth of God from this parable that we have to live into. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's so easy to get distracted from the main thing which is simply this, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's so easy to get distracted from that. Once we begin to say, but I need to know, I want to know. I have questions that need answers, never realizing that they weren't the right questions to begin with. The right question that we need to ask in the context of this parable is how now shall I live? Knowing what I know, how now shall I live? That's the question that we should be asking. But this foundational truth, this greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength is the foundational truth that we have built our purpose on here. Our purpose to love God passionately and to serve neighbors generously and to grow in Christ intentionally is all built on this one foundational truth the main thing. And when we live into our purpose, we will keep the main thing, the main thing. It's what the greatest commandment in Mark 12 is all about. If it is the greatest commandment, then shouldn't we build our lives on it? If it is the most important thing, according to Jesus, shouldn't everything focus around that? Shouldn't it be at the center? And here's the thing. We believe that our purpose is, to love God passionately, to serve neighbors generously, and to grow in Christ intentionally, when it is a lifestyle and not just head knowledge, will make us into people who live out this greatest commandment in every area of our lives. It was a lifestyle yesterday morning down in the gym, and it was lived out. So that's the first truth we have to address and hold on to in this parable keep the main thing, the main thing. The lawyer wasn't keeping the main thing, the main thing. The main thing was him. for him was, how do I justify myself and put Jesus on trial publicly? Jesus' answer is no. No, you go and do likewise. You stepped out of the main thing to justify yourself. That brings us to the second truth in this parable that we have to cling to. And it comes in verse 33. Listen to this. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The second truth of God from this parable for us to live into is simply this. If we're going to be people who serve our neighbors generously, then we need to be people who see the need and meet the need. Just that simple. You see the need. God has opened your eyes to see the need in someone's life. Then what must you do? Well, you meet it. You don't seek to justify yourself like this lawyer. You simply say, I recognize the need, and so I meet the need. Listen to this in John 4, 17, because I'm going to turn up the temperature on this a little bit, and our feet are going to burn a little bit. But listen to this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. When's the last time you saw the good you ought to do, didn't do it, and looked at yourself and said, I need to confess, I've sinned. That's not my default. It's not my default, but reality is when God opens my eyes to see the need and I don't meet the need, I'm walking in sin. So we have to be people who, like this Samaritan, see the good that ought to be done, and then we do it. Unlike the lawyer, on the other hand, who was looking for a way to avoid doing the good he knew he ought to do. He was trying to find a loophole in the definition of who a neighbor was. And Jesus closed the loophole by moving the question from what the lawyer knows to how the lawyer lives. I know you know this, but let's talk about how you're living it. That is the essence of faith in Christ. Simply this statement is the essence of faith in Christ. If this is true, then how shall I live? The lawyer knew truth, but never once considered it as something he should live out. He simply said, I know the law. I can regurgitate it. I can tell you the answers. He was trying to make the issue somewhat complex and philosophical, but Jesus made it simple and practical. And I think when you read the Gospels, that's what you see Jesus do in all circumstances. You have these lofty ideals and philosophies that you want to debate. Let me just do this. Let me just make it simple and practical. Jesus moved it from duty to love. He moved it from debate to doing. He made it as simple as see the need, meet the need, period. End of story. Not just meet the need though, but meet it abundantly. Verses 34 and 35, listen to what this Samaritan did. He bound up the man's wounds. He used oil and wine to cleanse his wounds. And in that day, oil and wine was like a first aid kit for a traveler. If you got injured oil and wine was how you would clean that wound out. And so he used what he might need in a generous way on somebody else who needed it immediately. He put the man on his his animal, I assume a donkey, which meant that the man, the Samaritan, was now walking instead. He basically gave the guy his car And said, I'll walk outside of it. I'll walk beside you. He paid for him to have a place to stay and to heal. And then he committed more of his money to make sure the man would be cared for. He inconvenienced himself and said, hey, I'm going to stop back by and check on him. You see the need, you meet the need. Even if it's costly and inconvenient, you see the need, you meet the need. You know what? Truth is, sometimes it costs a whole lot to care. But it always costs more not to care. It always costs more not to care. To not care costs you your testimony in Christ. It costs you the opportunity to live into the greatest commandment. It costs you the opportunity to step into our purpose as a church. It costs you the opportunity to grow in Christ intentionally. It costs a lot to care but it always costs more not to. That Samaritan in this story lived out the second truth from this text. When we see the need, we meet the need. And he did that because of the third truth from this text. Look at verses 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Likewise. Here's the third truth. If we're going to be people who serve our neighbors generously, we have to go and do mercy. Listen to this in James 2, verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The lawyer started from a place of judgment. He was judging Jesus. As a Jew, he would have started from a place of judgment, judging the Samaritans. They did not like each other. The cultural judgment that was in this lawyer was these Samaritans are no good. That would have been the mindset of everybody who's hearing Jesus' voice. Now, I heard one commentator, read one commentator that said, I'm not sure Jesus was telling a parable here. He might have been relating an experience because with a Jewish audience, if he would have used a Samaritan as an example that people didn't know was an actual event, they would have said, yeah, that'll never happen. A Samaritan will never stop and help anybody. So I don't know if it's, it's a true experience that Jesus is going, hey, basically, let me bring some news back to mind. You guys remember that story of the guy that got beat on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem? It was a Samaritan that stopped and helped him or if this is simply a parable. But either way, the lawyer started from a place of judgment. Jesus invites it to end with mercy. Even when we start with judgment, we can still end it with mercy. I think that's why Jesus used a Samaritan as an example here. Because he knew the concept of a Samaritan helping someone who was Jewish would challenge the judgmental mentality of his Jewish audience they probably would have thought, what reason would a Samaritan have to help a Jew? And if that was the question that was in their minds, it made it really easy for Jesus to make a critical point about mercy here. Because a Jew would have looked at that and said, there is no reason a Samaritan would have to stop and help a Jew. But you know what the point Jesus is making here? Mercy doesn't need a reason. Mercy needs no reason. Mercy flows without justification. It doesn't need to find a reason to embrace and engage someone's need. Think about that for us. So we had our clothing drive yesterday and we helped many, many people in the community. I want to tell you a story of one young lady. It was a young lady who came with her mother. She needed a backpack for school. Her mother needed other items. Life's just hard for them right now. And so they're, they're, they're coming, they're looking for help, they're getting a backpack, they've, they've got some school supplies for her, they picked up other items. And then this is what the young lady did after she got her stuff. She came up and said, can I stay and help? Can I stay and help? We're like, absolutely. We'll find you a place to help, to get involved. Now here's my question. What reason would this young lady have to show up at Temple Baptist Church to get a need met and then say, wait, let me stay and help meet other people's needs. What reason would she have? There's only one reason. She experienced mercy and now she wanted to offer it to others. It's just that simple. She didn't need a reason to help because mercy does not need a reason. But we are never gonna want anyone else to taste mercy until we taste it ourselves. And so what we don't wanna do is be like this lawyer talking about all these abstract ideals and failing to solve concrete problems that are all around us. We want our community to experience mercy that actually solves the problems around us. And we know that God will see to it that no act of mercy in Christ's name is ever lost. That's his job, his role. He will never let an act of mercy in the name of Christ just fall flat on the ground. And so we as a people simply look and go, Lord, we want to respond to your command to go and do mercy. How do we become that? And so I just want to recap these three truths for you in the parable of the Good Samaritan that we have to live into if we're going to become people who serve our neighbors generously out of a lifestyle, not out of a head knowledge. And so the first truth is this, keep the main thing, the main thing. And what's the main thing? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second truth that we have to live into is see the need, meet the need. Remember what James 4.17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. If you see an opportunity to do the good that you know you ought to do, then do it. Plain and simple, just do it. If the Holy Spirit reveals the good You should do, then you do it. See, God's refining your heart. He's refining your heart in several ways. One is to know the good you ought to do. But he's also refining your heart in such a way that your eyes will be open to see the good you ought to do. When you see the need, that is an act of God's grace on your heart and mind that says you're being transformed. Because we all see needs in our walk with Christ that we didn't see before. That's the Holy Spirit at work, opening us to know God's law of what we should do and opening our eyes to see the opportunities to do it. And then eventually, what happens is this those things just become reflexive and instinctive. How did you know to do that good thing? I have no idea. It was a reflex. It's like putting my hand out when I trip. It was instinctive, like knowing when I'm hungry. And here's the third truth we have to live into if we're going to serve our neighbors generously. And it's probably the hardest one. Go and do mercy. Remember James 2.13, keep that in mind. And lead with mercy, not judgment. We lead with mercy, not judgment. Mercy doesn't need a reason. Judgment tries to find a reason not to. Mercy is compassion in action. And compassion is awareness that the person in need of the mercy is me. If each of us stopped and looked at our own lives and could measure the amount, the quantities of mercy that we consume on a daily basis, we'd never hold on to it. We'd constantly pour it out to others. Mercy is compassion in action, and compassion is the awareness that the person in need of mercy is me. That's what the lawyer missed at the start. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he asked him that to test him. And then he says, Jesus says, go to the law. What's the law say? The law says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. He knew the law, but the law never convicted him because the lawyer didn't realize that he was the one in need of mercy. When I realize that, my interactions with others will always be rooted in compassion because I look at you and I see my need. I look at you and I see the places where I need mercy in my life instead of looking at you and asking the question, why do you deserve mercy? Think about that. Deserve mercy is an oxymoron. It's impossible to deserve mercy. Once you deserve it, it's no longer mercy. So as we become people who, unlike this lawyer, look at ourselves and say, I know the law, and the law has revealed to me that I need to be saved. Therefore, if I'm going to be saved, it's going to be saved by God's mercy, which means I am a rabid consumer of mercy, which means... Now I can offer it to everybody else because I can look with compassion at those who need mercy and say, that is me. And that brings us all the way back full circle to the main thing. And the main thing is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's the main thing because of something D.L. Moody once said. Listen to this. This is a quote from D.L. Moody. Faith makes all things possible, but love makes all things easy. Faith makes all things possible, but love makes all things easy. If we're gonna be people who go and do mercy, it's gonna be because we're loving God well and God's loving us well and we're loving our neighbors well. Once love is the main thing, mercy becomes easy. It's not difficult anymore. I want to leave you with a practice that I believe will help us live into these truths. Something I want to invite you into this week, and this is going to make the majority of you in this room cringe, and some of you will hate me, but I don't care. I'm saying it anyway. If you are gonna live into these three truths of keeping the main thing the main thing, of seeing the need and meeting the need, and of going and doing mercy, then here's the practice I wanna invite you into this next week. Slow down. I don't mean just driving. Because to be honest with you, as an American, I think most of the drivers in Canada need to speed up a little bit. I don't mean just driving. I mean slow down by giving yourselves margin in your life. Don't run from event to event to event, from appointment to appointment to appointment. Get up 30 minutes earlier. Don't pick your phone up for that first 30 minutes when you're awake. Some of you are like twitching and eyes are blinking now. Leave the house 15 minutes earlier than you need to be somewhere. Don't schedule and plan every single minute of your day with tasks and obligations. Don't multitask constantly. Don't feel like if you're only doing one thing, you're doing no thing. See, our culture has the disease of hurry. We run from event to event to event trying to find more things that we can get accomplished in a day. And if we go to bed and we fall asleep immediately, we think something's wrong with us because we're used to being so hurried that when my head hits the pillow, I stay up for another three hours thinking about all the stuff I didn't do today or that I'm gonna do tomorrow. We have the disease of hurry. And then here's where it gets really bad. Hurry eventually will find its way into our spiritual lives. And so then I rush through spiritual activities. My prayer becomes the kid at the dinner table sitting down to eat. How quickly can I get this out? Amen. My Bible reading becomes, how quickly can I get through this? I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell you something. Don't hold it against me. Sometimes when I'm, I'm reading a chapter of the Bible, I'll listen to it on my phone when I'm driving and things with the, uh, the Version app. I don't know if any of you know this, but did you know you can, you can increase the speed of how it reads to you? I'm not kidding. There's been times I've been listening to my Bible in the current. I'm like, you're reading too slow, man. Let me crank that up. And in the beginning was God. And I'm like, okay. John 3, 16. For God all of the world? He gives His only begotten son and who believes in him should not fear. But all shall have ever listened. like, I've done that. Hurry will creep into our spiritual lives and we'll step right over God's presence to get to the next thing. We'll step right over the truth of God's word to get to the next truth of God's word. We'll step over our times of prayer to get to the next time of prayer. Here's what we need to do. We need to slow down and see what's around us. Because when you slow down, here's what you're going to find. The, the invitation to do mercy in the name of Christ is everywhere in your ordinary life. We just move too fast to see it. That co-worker who's suffering, they're there. Did you see him? The homeless guy who hasn't eaten in days. He's there. Did you see him? The depressed person who's in your circle of influence, who's ready to give up. They're there. Did you see him? That difficult person who everyone tries to avoid and uses hurry usually to avoid them. Sorry, I got to go. I can't stand to talk. They're there. Can you see them? See, we won't see the need and meet the need with the love of God, with love for our neighbors, until we slow down, push the busyness off, so that we actually have time to see what's in front of us. When we do that, we'll keep the main thing the main thing, We'll actually have time to see the needs in this broken world and have time to meet those needs. We'll have time to go and do mercy with intention instead of just hoping we stumble into it occasionally. Slow down. Slow down. If God is who we say He is, then this world is a place of wonder in every ordinary moment, in every person we encounter, to see the beauty and glory of God and respond to it, if we just slow down. Father, thank you so much for this word, God, this truth, and Lord, just open our eyes. Open our eyes to the, magnificent opportunities around us for compassion and for mercy. Reveal to us the times where we're not keeping the main thing the main thing. Help us slow down and stand simply in that foundation of the greatest thing we can do is to love you with every fiber of our being and love our neighbors as ourselves. Open our eyes to see the needs around us and to meet those needs. And Father, change us into the kind of people as we see you in all things who will just go and do mercy and do it as a reflex, do it as an instinct. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.